0: Turn with me to Romans chapter 12. We'll continue where we left off a couple weeks ago. I want to speak to you this morning on the topic, What in the world are you thinking? Romans chapter 12. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Let's just stop right there and we'll pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. I do pray that you would guide and direct now as we uh, look at it for just a few moments. Help us, Father, to think about this uh, this important verse. And Lord, there's so much in this book of Romans and it's so hard to do it justice. And I pray that you would help today. Fill me with your spirit, enable me to be clear. And Lord, as we talk about these uh, uh, interesting concepts, I pray, Lord, that they would uh, they would speak to us. Well, we know this is for Christians today. We know this passage is directed at those who are believers. But I pray also for those who might be among us who have not made that choice, have not decided yet to follow Christ. I pray that uh, somewhere in here the Holy Spirit will get hold of them. This is your word. You can apply it to hearts as you see fit, and I pray you would today. So change us, make us what we ought to be, teach us, help us, and speak to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I want to talk to you today just on that second verse. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. A couple of weeks ago, we looked at verse number 1, and we learned there that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, and that doing so is our reasonable service. And uh, we learned that the natural result of God's mercies toward us, therefore, is, is, is devotion. It's worship. It's service. We ought to serve God. We ought to present ourselves as a living sacrifice because of what He has done. For us. And well, Paul is not done here. I don't know if you noticed or not, but we stopped there in verse number one, kind of in the middle of his argument. Verse number two continues it. He's still really making the same point where he says, "Do not And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. So we need to remember what's going on here in chapter 12. Uh, we came to a second division here in the book of Romans, and it's going to continue now to the end of the book. And here we see that Paul is answering that so what question, that what does this mean to me question. He's taught us all about the gospel in the first 11 chapters. Uh, he's explained to us the glories of it, uh, the glories of what God has done through His Son, the wonders of justification, all that good stuff, justification by faith. But now here in chapter 12, he's beginning to answer how that applies to our lives. And we started to see that in verse 1. And now we're going to add some detail here in verse 2. It is not my intention, by the way, to tackle chapter 12 one verse at a time every week. But these first two, uh, it's just difficult to not spend uh, a whole message on each of these first two verses. And uh, we'll move a little bit faster after this. But uh, let's let's notice this second verse just for a moment. And let's tackle it kind of like we did the first one by just pulling a couple of words out. I want you to notice the word conformed there. We're going to talk about that. I want you to notice the word transformed there. And we'll talk about that. And then I want you to notice the word proved. And we'll kind of conclude with that one. So first of all, be not conformed. Do not be conformed to this world, he says, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, I'm going to try to tell you the Greek word from which we get that word conformed, but it's as long as as uh, this room, I think, and it's a very difficult one. Every time I try to pronounce it, I just struggle all over the place. It's something like syschematizistha, something like that. Syschematizistha, something. We get our English word schema from it, and you might have heard that buried in there, where syschematizistha, we get the word schema, we get the word schismatic from that Greek word. And it basically means, what your Bible says, it means conformed, but it's talking about shaping one's behavior or being conformed to a pattern or a mold, a schematic. It's talking about uh, what we model our behavior on or what is the schematic from which we draw our, our, our daily behaviors and our outward activities. And so Christian Paul is saying here to not be conformed to something, something that is a pattern and what is that something it's a negative instruction he's telling us where to avoid something very plainly uh, but what is it and, and he tells it he tells it here he says that it's this world do not be conformed to this world or more precisely this age that's the greek word and i can say this one because it's a little tiny one that's the greek word aeon from which we get our word eon or era or age and so it's not really talking about the world as a as a place But the world system is a period of time and an age and era. And so if we put it all together, we find out that this word means, do not let the age in which you live force you into its scheme of thinking and behavior. That's kind of what he's saying. Some other translations might help. We don't usually quote from the Jerusalem Bible, but it has some good stuff in it. And here it says this. It says, do not model yourselves on the behavior of the world around you. That's what he's saying. The Living Bible says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world. The Phillips paraphrase is another one we don't quote from often, but it's got some good stuff. This time it says, I think it really nails it. It says, don't let the world around you squeeze you into its own mold. That's what he's saying. Do not be conformed to this world. And, of course, we see that thought other places in the Bible, don't we, in the New Testament. The Christian is to live in this world, but not be of this world. Uh, Things are different now in our lives. For example, we're told not to love the world. John says this in 1 John, John chapter 2 and verse number 15, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Paul told the Galatians in Galatians chapter 6 and verse 14 that we're to consider the world crucified to us and us to it. He said, God forbid that I should boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. There was a fellow in the Bible by the name of Demas. You remember Demas. Demas was a companion of Paul, a servant alongside of Paul, a co-laborer with Paul on his missionary journeys. When Paul wrote to the Colossians, he mentioned Demas, and he described him as someone who was working right alongside of him. We read in Colossians chapter 4 and verse number 14, the very end, when he's just, you know, mentioning some of his cohorts. He says, Luke, the beloved physician and Demas greet you. That doesn't tell us much about Demas, but it tells us that he was right there working alongside of Luke, and of course Luke was one of the key New Testament characters, wrote the book of Luke, the Gospel of Luke, wrote the book of Acts. And so here's Demas working alongside of Paul and Luke, and then in the very personal letter that he wrote to Philemon, one of the very last books in your Bible, when Paul wrote a personal letter to Philemon on behalf of his runaway slave, Onesimus, who Paul had led to the Lord, at the very end of that letter, To Philemon, Paul said this. He said, Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, greets you as do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, Luke, my fellow laborers. So he sounds like a good guy, doesn't he? Demas. Working right alongside of Paul on his missionary journeys. Serving. But then we read these sad words about Demas. In the very last letter that we have from Paul, the very last letter we have from him is the book of 2 Timothy. And in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 9, we read this. Be diligent. To come to me quickly, for Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world, and has departed for Thessalonica, Crescens for Galatia, Titus for Dalmatia. Demas has forsaken me, having loved this present world. Do not be conformed to this world. Do not love this world. Do not pattern your life after this world. That's what Paul is saying. And so, we ought not to be a Demas. We need to learn the opposite. Let's look at another word. That was the word conformed. But notice he goes on. He says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. The negative part of Paul's instruction was seen in that first word. Don't be conformed. But here now we have the positive side. But... Be transformed. And so let's consider that word. And here's another one that I'm going to struggle a little bit to pronounce. Not quite as bad. This is the word metamorphosthay. Metamorphosthay. It means to be changed. It means to be transformed, just as we see. But it means to transform the essential nature of something. Uh, it can also be translated another way. It can be translated the word, but with the word transfigured. And is, in our Bibles. The word's only used four times in the New Testament. Here, it's also used in 2 Corinthians 3.18, which I'll quote to you in just a minute. It's a very important one for us to understand it. But it's also mentioned twice in the Gospels, and in those places it's used to describe the transfiguration of Jesus Christ when He went up on the mount with Peter, James, and John and was transfigured before them. Same exact word, metamorphos, It is from this Greek word that we get our word. Can you guess what it is? Metamorphosis. Metamorphosis. My fifth grade teacher was Catherine Bunker. Anybody else have Catherine Bunker as her fifth grade teacher? Yes. We have relatives of Catherine Bunker in our congregation as well. She was my favorite teacher as a child. And everybody who I've ever talked to about Catherine Bunker remembers one thing about Catherine Bunker. Monarch butterflies. Everybody remembers that. Because we all came to class one day, and she had set up this terrarium or some such thing. I can't remember what she had them in, but she had brought caterpillars in. And then as fifth grade students, we would watch the caterpillar, caterpillars and poke at the caterpillars and do all kinds of things with the caterpillars throughout the ensuing days. And then one day we would come into class, and there'd be no caterpillars in there. Where'd the caterpillars go? And she would point out, that, well, there's a, see that little green thing hanging there off that little twig? That's what happened to the caterpillar. And then we watched the little chrysalis that it had become. And we'd notice over a period of time that it would change color and things would get a little bit different, but basically it just sat there, didn't do anything. We said, that's kind of boring. And then one day we'd come into class and there'd there'd be a monarch butterfly in there because it had burst forth from that thing. Sometimes we were fortunate enough to actually get to see it emerge. And she taught us the meaning of this word, metamorphosis, which is exactly what is being described here. Metamorphosis. You see where that first word "conform" describes our outward behavior? This second word transformed describes something that happens on the inside, something that's entirely internal. It's a fascinating word. It describes an ongoing process. It describes something that's not a one-time action. We are to be being transformed from the inside out, constantly as believers, continually, Progressively. It describes for us something that the Holy Spirit initiates within us and superintends in us. But it also describes something that we're to be working at. We both have a part in this. Notice that we're told here to be transformed. But in that other verse I told you about, 2 Corinthians 3.18, let me read that to you now. It says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory just as by the Spirit of the Lord. So here we are to be transformed. There we are being transformed. There is a part of it that we are to do, and there is a part of it that's being done. It's very interesting, isn't it? In Romans chapter 12, uh, he says it is... Or actually, in Second Corinthians chapter uh, 3, Paul says it is happening. In Romans chapter 12, he says, let it happen. And so there's both his part and our part in this transformation, this metamorphosis that's taking place place, and both are important, both are needed. We are changed day by day, more and more into the image of Christ. We are becoming more and more like Him every day, and it's a transformation the Holy Spirit makes happen, but it's also a transformation in which we play a role. Warren Wiersbe said of this verse that every Christian is either a conformer living for and like the world, or a transformer, daily becoming more like Christ. So let's get practical about that for a moment. If those That's the two words. Let's think about that word transformation. If we're supposed to play a part in it, what can we do to ensure that we are being transformed daily? And he gives us the answer here. He's very specific. He says, be transformed how? By the renewing of your mind. So it involves our thinking. Our thinking. You know, you will think differently as a Christian. At least you ought to. And you will think differently because this process of transformation that's taking place on the inside where the Holy Spirit is working to make you more and more like Christ it is renewing your mind. He's helping you to think differently. And here in Romans chapter 12, we're taught that we're also supposed to play a part in that. We're supposed to be working on renewing our mind. God's part, our part. And we see this other places in the Bible. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 says, Therefore we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. Colossians chapter 3, verse 9, Don't lie to one another, since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in knowledge, according to the image of him who created him. Ephesians chapter 4, You have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus That you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man which was created according to God in righteousness and holiness. So what does it mean? How how does a renewed mind think? How, How do we think differently as Christians? Does it mean that we sit around all the time and think about nothing but Christian things? Is that what it means? Some people might say that. I mean, do I have to just sit around all the time and think about church? Do I have to sit around all the time and think about organ music and piano music? Do I have to think about soul winning 24 hours a day? Do I have to think only about the Bible 24 hours a day? Prayer? Is that, is that what it means? We only think about Christian things? Clearly it doesn't mean that. We couldn't live that way. I got up this morning and I confessed that I thought about other things like, you know, what suit am I going to wear today? What tie am I going to wear today? Uh, where's my toothbrush? You know, I, you think about things like that. You have to go to work. You have to think about things in this world all the time. You're driving down the road. You have to think about the people that cut you off in traffic. You have to think about all kinds of things. Cooking and eating and playing and all the things that we do in life. There's all kinds of things we think about. We can't just think about Christian things 24 hours a day. So what is he talking about here? He's talking about the fact that a renewed mind doesn't just think about Christian things, but rather that our mind thinks about everything, even those secular things, from a Christian perspective. That's what the renewed mind is. And a lot of times we would use the word worldview to describe that kind of thinking, wouldn't we? We have a Christian worldview. We filter everything through that kind of thought. Let me give you some examples. A Christian worldview or a renewed mind, let's keep that, that thought in our mind, has no trouble believing things like Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. You know, so many of the world's beliefs, such as evolution, such as socialism, uh, such as the worship of self-esteem, and fill in the blank, find their Genesis right there, in a rejection of Genesis chapter 1 and verse number 1, in the beginning God but the Christian's understanding of those truths, as well as all other truths, begins there too. That's where our Christian worldview begins. In the beginning, God. God is. God is, and therefore everything else is possible. That's the Christian worldview. A Christian worldview thinks differently about mankind. The world would put man at the center of the universe and say that we are the only thing that matters. We are the ultimate thing in all of uh, this universe. But the Christian worldview knows man to be a unique and glorious creation of God. God is at the center of the universe, not man. Man is unbelievably valuable to God, and yet man is also broken and fallen and in need of redemption. One man said, when we turn to the Bible to see what it has to say about human beings, we find two surprising things. First, we find that man is a uniquely valuable being, far more important than the humanists imagine him to be. But second, in his fallen condition, we also find that he is much worse than the humanists suppose. Timothy Keller says the Christian gospel is that I am so flawed that Jesus had to die for me, and yet I am so loved and valued that Jesus was glad to die for me. That's the Christian view of man. A Christian worldview thinks differently about life and death and eternity and all of those things. I love 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. I almost always use 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 in a a funeral. Certainly in a funeral for a Christian anyway. And I love verse number 13. I don't want you to be ignorant, Paul said, concerning those who have fallen asleep or those who have died. Lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. The Christian thinks differently about death. The Christian with a renewed mind knows death is real and knows it's an enemy, but also that it's not final and that there is yet hope and that the best is yet to come. A Christian worldview thinks differently about what's valuable in this life. And in the next, Jesus said, what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? And yet the the worldly point of view is, I'd like to gain the whole world. That that would be something would be thought good by the world's worldview. But the Christian worldview knows it is not. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. It's Christian worldview. We we look at things differently. A Christian worldview thinks differently about priorities. We have a situation going on in our world today. Perhaps you've noticed it or read about it a little bit in the news. There is a flood of refugees coming out of war-torn countries that are going into into Europe and into our nation. And uh, many people are very frightened by this. Many people are nervous about this because we have this evil thing called ISIS in our world and, and other organizations, Islamic terrorist organizations, that are taking advantage of that and using it to smuggle their terrorist agenda into these nations. And so there are some who say, you know, we ought to, uh, we ought to not allow them in. No, close the borders to them. Our own governor has said the state of Ohio is closed to them and we won't take any here. And, you know, I think about that. I understand all that. I see all that. I, I, I think about that from a political perspective. I see that. But this past week, I was, I was looking at Twitter, something that I do from time to time. And I read this tweet, and it completely changed the way I think. Completely changed it. I know it's on here somewhere. Let me find it. Ah, here it is. This, this I can't even remember who tweeted this, but somebody said this. God is bringing unreached nations to us. What are we going to do about it? And I stopped to think about that. I thought, you know what? We pray all the time. God, help us to reach the unreached nations. We we, we had a thing here not very long ago, a couple years ago, uh, to the ends of the earth, where we wanted to send a missionary or support a missionary in every nation of the world. And some of that was pretty easy to do. Some of that we had no trouble. But, you know, when we got down toward the end, it became a real struggle. Because there are nations in this world where you cannot get a missionary in. You can't get the gospel in there. We would have to support something like uh, Trans World Radio to broadcast it over the borders because that's the only way you could get in there. Oh, there might be some who are in there, but they won't tell you who they are because they have to work secretly. And so it's a struggle to reach these. We pray to reach these. And now God is doing this amazing thing. God is bringing them to us. And I never thought of it that way. And I'm not trying to be political. I'm not saying what's right and what's wrong about what our nation should do. I'm saying that the renewed mind of the Christian looks at a thing like that and says, hey, wait a minute. Here's a group of people coming that need the gospel. Here's a group of people coming, regardless of any other issue involved. That God is bringing for us uh, before us that don't know about Jesus. What are we going to do about it? It's interesting, isn't it? It's, it's just the difference in the Christian worldview, whether you agree or disagree politically about it. Uh, it it's, it's interesting to me to think about. And finally, a Christian worldview thinks differently about Jesus Christ. And let me say this: all these other things I've mentioned so far about the Christian worldview, you can agree or, or agree or disagree on. Uh, you might be at a different place in your Christian walk, and you might say, ah, "I'm not sure about that." You can't disagree about this one. This one is black and white in the Bible. The Christian worldview thinks differently about Jesus Christ. There can be no room to fudge. Scripture is clear. We either have a right view of Christ and are saved or a wrong view of Christ and are lost. He who believes in Him is not condemned. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he hasn't believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. We could go on. There's a lot. But those are just a few to describe the differences uh in the in the way a Christian thinks. A person with a renewed mind thinks, and a lost person thinks. Well, before I leave this topic, I want to get real practical and I want to ask, how do we get there? How do we develop that kind of a mindset? How does a Christian if we have a if there's a God component to this and a me component to this, what what do I do? How do I help myself to have that Christian now, let me just let me just mention a few different things that maybe we might do. Uh, to help us uh, have a renewed mind and the right worldview. Number one, develop the habit of reading the Bible. Develop the habit of daily reading Scripture. And I know I harp on this as I was preparing this message. I thought I haven't harped on it a lot lately, so I'll harp on it a little bit more today. But we need to read our Bibles. We need to develop the habit. You say, I don't like to read. You need to learn to read. God has given us the Word, He has given it to us in written form, and He has said, read the Bible. And so, I don't like like to read. It's not a valid excuse. We need to learn to develop the habit of daily reading Scripture. Uh, We need to get it in there. We need to get it in there every year at the beginning of the year. And we're coming up on that. uh, We post, and they're they're on our website now, but we post various Bible reading plans to help you with that. We have tools for that. There's probably nothing else you can do to develop a renewed mind and a Christian worldview and a Christian mindset. More important than this one. Develop the habit of daily reading Scripture. Another one would be to memorize verses and play them over in your mind. You know, you don't have to memorize every verse of the Bible. There's people who've done that. Jack Van Impey is an evangelist. You've probably seen him on TV. He supposedly has memorized every verse of Scripture. I don't know if that's true or not. I can't fathom how you memorize all the things in Second Chronicles or how in the world you do that. But he apparently has. Uh, I think Ron Comfort was another one who had done that. You don't have to do that. But you ought to memorize a few. Find a verse that is meaningful to you. You know, my life's verse is Jeremiah 33, 3, Call unto me and I will answer thee and show thee great and mighty things that thou knowest not. You know, so many times through my day that verse will play over in my mind. And it'll help me. And, and, you know, you can come up with something like that. A verse that is meaningful. Memorize it. Play it over and pray it back to God. And it'll help you to develop a Christian mindset and a Christian worldview. Listen to teaching. Listen to teaching. Dan mentioned something about that this morning and it's true. God gave some teachers, and, and uh, we, we need to listen to that. Feed the white dog and starve the black one. Remember that old story? I can't remember where I first heard the story of the white dog and the black dog. It was an old Indian thing, I think. Uh, there were two dogs fighting or something like that, and the little, little Indian kid asked the old Indian guy, you know, which one's going to win? He said, the one that we feed. The one that we feed. Feed the white dog. Fill your mind with good things. We fill our mind with so much garbage in this world today. We are bombarded with so much stuff. What are you putting in there? Feed the white dog. Paul said in Philippians chapter 4 and verse number 8 that, uh, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are noble, whatever things are just, pure, lovely, of good report, if there's anything virtuous, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate on. These things. Think about those things. Fill your mind with those things. Feed the white dog. And then the last thought I had down here is practice filtering everything you hear, everything you read, everything you see through that growing Christian worldview. You read something in the news, ask yourself, what is God's perspective on this? Not what is CNN's, not what is Fox News, not what is Bill O'Reilly, not what is Michael Moore, any of these fools, none of them. Ask, what is God's view on it? That's how we do it. We filter everything through that worldview. Ask, what does Scripture say about this before every decision we make? Ponder on what would Jesus do? Ponder on what did Jesus say about any of these things? If you'll do these things, they will help you to develop a Christian worldview. Well, finally, let me finish with this thought. Because I want you to notice what Paul said would be the result of these things. Notice he said, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Don't be conformed, but be transformed. That's the instruction. By the renewing of your mind, that's the means, that's the how that we do it. But now notice here, that you may prove the will of God. That's the result. That's the result. Now, when we see that phrase, the will of God, we oftentimes think about God's will for our lives, His individual will for our lives. You know, uh, some of the teens would read this and think about that and say, does that mean, uh, uh, what is God's will for who I should marry? Or should I marry? That kind of thing. Should I go to college? That kind of a thing. We as adults might look at it and say, what does that mean as far as uh, my career choices? Uh, as far as some of the things that I do during the day, every day. Uh, we, uh, hopefully we would look at that and we would say, what does that mean as far as what God wants me to do in His service? I wonder how many of us ever say, God, do you want me to be a missionary? We all ought to say that. God, what do you want from me? Do you want me to serve you in some way? So when we see that phrase, the will of God, we oftentimes think that's what he's talking about, God's will for my life. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. He's not talking about that will of God. There is such a thing what He's talking about. He's talking about God's will for us, His general will for all Christians? How does God want all of us as Christians to live? And there's all kinds of places in the Bible where that's described. Ten Commandments would be one such place where they're summed up. Jesus' Sermon on the Mount would be another glimpses uh, into what God wants for us. There's a plethora of such instructions. God wants us to love one another. He wants us to love him supremely. And our neighbor is ourselves. He wants us to live holy lives. He wants us to abstain from fornication. He wants us to preach the gospel, to witness to others. He wants us to give, to provide for the poor. He wants us to help those who are weak. We could go on and on and on. All those things, those things, which are all through the Bible, are what he's talking about here when he's talking about the will of God. One man said the will of God is that we be saved through Christ and then live like Christ. And so he sums it up. And that's the will that Paul is referring here Here. And I want you to notice what he says about it. He says that if we will not live lives conformed to this age, but rather daily and continually live lives that are being transformed by the renewing of our minds, then we will prove to ourselves that these things that God asks of us, well, they're good and they're acceptable, pleasing, your translation might say. They're perfect or complete. One man said, as a Christian is transformed in his mind and is made more like Christ, he comes to approve and desire God's will, not his own will for his life. And then he discovers that God's will is what is good for him and that it pleases God and is complete in every way. It is all he needs. But only by being renewed spiritually can a believer ascertain, do, and enjoy the will of God. You'll find out. God knows what he's talking about. God's will is good. God's will is acceptable. God's will is all you need if you will but live the way he talks about in this verse. And so let's read it one last time. And let's not only read this verse, but let's determine, determine, determine to put it into practice. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God.